You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. What's up, 26er family? Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. It's your host, Delisha, and this episode features Jason Coy. Jason is a Newark native with Liberian roots who studied at Rutgers University. While Jason was a student at Rutgers, he noticed that a friend had a leather bag that drew quite a few compliments. But Jason also noted that only luxury brands created bags like this, and he wanted to change that. So he and his friend Toby set out to create a premium yet accessible leather goods brand. Jason saved his refund checks and couch surfed for a semester to start the business. It turned out that he and Toby were onto something, and the brand, known as Herd of the Fathers, saw early success selling leather bags. Then they set out to do what most entrepreneurs do when things are going well, expand. They later designed a boot and put up thousands of dollars to have it manufactured. Unfortunately, the factory that they selected to complete the job shut down, and Jason was out of $10,000. Now, if you know anything about being a self-funded small business, you know that 10K is quite a bit of money to invest with nothing to show for it. So as you can imagine, this sent Jason to a pretty dark place. But over time, and with the help of his girlfriend, that journey led him to discovering one of his current passions, clean eating. Jason is now the mastermind behind Rebound Recipes and produces videos which merge basketball, vegan cooking, and a whole lot of humor. He's also working on his next venture, a plant-based eatery. And if you listen to the show, you know we get into all of this during our chat. So take a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Jason, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me here. Good. I love this. I love this, man. This is a beautiful thing. I love what y'all doing. Thank you so much and your willingness to come on and just be open and tell your story. And um, you already said you're a talker, so we love we love a talker. Listen, if we're gonna have the microphones, we might as well use them. Absolutely. So let's do it. And you already got a a level of swag, which I appreciate as Ah, well. ah, So thank you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So let's get into it. Tell me, who is Jason Okoy? Uh, Jason Okoy. Um, I'm 30 years old. Uh, I was born in Newark, New Jersey, to uh, immigrant immigrant parents from West Africa, Liberia. And they moved here, you know, uh, right before I was born. So they lived in the projects on First Street in Newark, New Jersey. And I think I just had a dual... Uh, uh, childhood because growing up in a traditional African home was different, but then you had to go outside. Right. So I felt like I had double, like I was living a double life in a sense because when you go outside, nobody cares. The cops don't care if you're African, if you're Caribbean, if you ADOS, they don't, like we all the same. So kind of like if you're looking at Black Panther, how it was T'Challa versus uh, Killmonger, and I felt I was like both of them. Mm-hmm. So like when I was watching that movie, like I was in both of their shoes because I felt like I lived both of those experiences. And uh, yeah, so I grew up in that situation. Um, I went to high school. I went to uh, all-boys high school, St. Benedict's Prep, downtown Newark. You know, I didn't want to do that at first. My Mm -hmm. mom was just like, listen, you ain't going to public school with the rest of your friends because, you know, because my uncle, my grandmother's son, he had got incarcerated. So he was locked up for a long time. And just seeing what incarceration does to families, I think that just put them on notice. Like, all right, we need to make sure Jason is okay. Right. Because we can't just not sit back and just expect him to do the right thing. So that led them to sending me to that situation. 
um, which was one of the greatest experiences of my life because all the people I went to school with still my brothers to this day. Like we, we like more so than my friends that when I was in college, like my high school friends, like it was just a bond that will never go away. And these were the school I went to kind of gave us that experience that a lot of uh, Caucasian kids might have. Right like Lawrenceville's and the Petties and all these other schools that cost 50 to 100 grand to go to. This school on Martin Luther King Boulevard um, gave us that opportunity to have that same experience for a lower price. So they get a lot of donors and all that stuff and uh, funding. So, yeah, man, I mean, that, it was that. I, uh, um, which uh, an experience from that school is what kind of led me to where I'm at now because before you become a sophomore, you got to go on a camping trip for 50 miles in the uh, Appalachian Mountains. Wow. So you think about it, you take all these boys from the hood that never had a camping experience and then they place them in the middle of the woods for a week and you got to hike 50 miles. So just that initial exposure to nature, at that time I didn't understand it, but I think that planted a scene in my mind which led me to where I'm at today. Which we're going to get into which we'll for get sure. Into, yes. Um, oh, and I'm a big basketball fan. I played basketball in high school. I love basketball. I had to put that up. So who's your team? Uh, my team is the Sixers, but I, okay. will, I will be honest, as I've gotten older, I've gotten less attachment to an organization mm-hmm. because I think sometimes as fans we get too caught up in the nonsense and we don't realize that this is a business and it's entertainment and these guys are human beings. So when people are burning people jerseys or right. calling them the B word because they left, it's kind of like, bro, you don't even understand. You don't know what their family was talking about behind the scenes. You know, if you break your leg, you're not even valuable no more. They're going to cut you. They're going to send you somewhere. Don't care nothing. They don't care but your family, your kids in school. They don't care. So my thing is, if the athlete want to do whatever they want to do, let them because these owners make billions of dollars on the backs of, you you know, people that look like me. And so that 20 million they get and imagine what the owners get. Right. And they treating them like cattle. And I know people don't want to hear that, but you know, that's so it just changed my relationship with sports. Like mm-hmm. I love it. I love the skill. I love to see the potential of the human body and the human mind and how to do the things that they do in such such short time, like milliseconds. You know, people right. see these things that they do, the dunks are behind the back, but all of that is genius because it's it's like split of the second decision making that these guys have to make. So yeah, it just changed my relationship with sports. Like I just love to watch it for human potential and entertainment but at the same time I like to see young men growing and realizing that they've got a responsibility and all this money that's being put into their hands they have a responsibility to teach for sure and to go back to where they came from and use it but did you have an emotional reaction to the Sixers recent loss uh I did I did I had a reaction to Ben Simmons not shooting the ball mm-hmm. you a starting point guard you know I hope he develops a jump shot because I like him but uh yeah I did have a reaction to that but I'm a LeBron guy so I was really yes I am I think LeBron has changed a lot of things Mm -hmm. in sports. No matter what you feel about him on the court, off the court, like, and I think a lot of the the people in power are struggling with the uh, representation that LeBron is, where Mm -hmm. it's like, Nah, we are the bosses. We are the talent. We bring you the money, and we're going to figure figure out how to spread this around and uplift. I'm going to bring all my homies from childhood, and I'm going to make him my agent. I'm going to make him my manager. I'm going to make this person director right. of this. And they don't like to see that because a lot of times what, what happens with sports is these kids, they go to colleges, and they're completely removed out of their neighborhoods. And then they get put into the twilight zone. Like, you get mm-hmm. put amongst people. They're cheering for you. So you start to feel like, oh, this must be what reality is for the whole entire world. So now the resources that you gain, now you're giving it elsewhere because you're like, what 
are you guys talking about? I'm right. making millions of dollars. All these people love me. Why are you guys complaining? You know what I mean? So I think LeBron, he doesn't do it, like, outright, but he tries to play the game and show us the way, in a sense, like, yo, this is how it's supposed to be done. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think there has always been athletes, Black athletes, who have diversified, who have had... Um, deep ties to serving the community, et cetera. But now in this era of LeBron, there's more visibility, right? Yes, Given that yes. we're in the digital age, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, you know, we know bas- basketball stars from our parents' generation. The stories are probably few and far between that we've heard about, but who've made major strides. But if you take it back to your own childhood back then, I don't know if, you know, parents, especially parents of Liberian descent were mm. like, yes, if you you know, pursue basketball, pursue athletics. So do you feel that they were supportive in your extracurriculars or if they felt like, you know, you have to study, get your academics together and worry about all that other stuff? Oh, it's all academics. Yeah. Listen, I mean, any foreign, for uh, anybody who has foreigner parents, Mm -hmm. you know for a fact is lawyer, doctor, engineer. Right. That's all they want to hear. Like, they don't even care how you get there. (laughs) It's like, sometimes I would just lie and say, yeah, I'm going to be a lawyer just so nobody would ask me no more questions because they're just like, because at one point I did want to be a lawyer when Mm -hmm. I went to college. I studied political science, but we'll get into that. But yeah, like as a child, I mean, they support it, but they were just like, oh, it's just something Jason does. Like when I started going outside for real, for real, at like 11, 12 years old, and they let me do whatever, I'll go to the park. But for me, honestly, um, because basketball is a game that requires no money. Like all you Mm -hmm. need is a basketball and yourself, and you can go to this court by yourself and shoot. And for me, that was uh, like just being... Being on the court was a form of therapy for me. It was a very uh, therapeutic experience because I could stand at the foul line, shoot in peace and quiet and silence. Back then, going outside, you know, nowadays is like the iPad is everything. Right. These but kids back don't want to be outside. Before we had the yeah. iPad, which I am grateful that I was able to grow up um, in a time before the internet. And I feel like I grew up with it as well. But we grew up before it where we had to go outside. Mm-hmm. You had to talk to people face to face. Just none of this stuff existed. Um, so yeah, basketball was just therapy for me where I could just shoot in silence and think about things because, you know, coming in our communities, talking isn't really a thing, especially right. amongst young black men. We are not really taught how to uh, express ourselves, um, how to communicate, especially with women. And I think that was something that plagued me as I got older and started to really get into relationships with women. It was like, I didn't know how to communicate. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to express my feelings and I would just shut down. And that's what we were used to doing in my house. Like where I grew up, like it was, it's a whole lot of love, but it's a whole lot of... It's a whole lot of anger. It's a whole lot of resentment for just life. And, you know, you start to see things like in life experiences and what it does to people. And when you're a child, you don't understand. You know, you're looking at older people and you're thinking like, oh, man, they just being mean. But you don't know what happened at work. You don't right. know what happened in a relationship. You don't know what happened, whatever the case may be. You don't know what happened just going outside. Like, and you don't notice that when you're in it. Like, when you in, in your teenage, when I'm a teenager and my mom telling me not to go outside, not to run the streets, it's kind of like, yo, mom, what are you talking about? You know, like, we just out here having fun. Ain't nothing happening. If some, something happened to somebody, like, oh, it's just another day. And we normalize these things. And a lot of these things we see are not normal. Right. But, um, yeah, I, for they didn't really, they wanted me to, to school was priority mm-hmm. to them. So I will say they wanted me to make sure I get good grades and go to college. And I, I 
have often said that one of the most transformative experiences transitioning into adulthood is when you start to see your elders through a different lens. Mm -hmm. As human beings who are flawed, who have experiences, and those experiences impact how they approach the world and how they approach conflict and how they approach situations and how they treat you. Um, When you're a child, like you said, it's just like, why are they talking to me like that Mm -hmm. or or what have you? And also living within certain environments, it takes you being so resilient that often the vulnerability gets lost. Lost yeah. in the process. You, you're building up this shield just to survive that when vulnerability, which is ultimately necessary, um, is an appropriate reaction, oftentimes we don't have the tools to actually display it, which of course then feeds into how we approach uh, interpersonal relationships, be it, you know, romantic or otherwise. Yeah. And this is a topic that like keeps coming up on the show. I feel like we need to have like but a whole panel deep, on it. Yes, for sure. And I, I will say in my experiences, like just dealing with my own mom. Mm-hmm. And I love my mom and my mom, you know, my dad, he left when I was one. But even wow. though we still had a relationship, so he was gone, he was in Maryland while we were still here. So my uncle that I said that got incarcerated, he was the one who was showing me like, all right, this is where you go. These are the streets you don't go to, the streets you do go to. He's the one who taught me how to play basketball. He's the one who taught me how to play video games. And then when he got locked up, it was just like, I just felt like I was by myself. Even mm-hmm. though I was the oldest, you know, my my siblings were still very, like, babies at the time. But when he got sent away, it was like, man, what, what do I do now? So just communication and you just seeing relationships with, your, with my mom and uh, her boyfriend. And it was just like, when you're a kid, you can't say nothing. Because in, in an African household, I can't speak for other people, but in an African household, everything is disrespect. <laughs> like, you, can, yes. leave, you mm-hmm. can leave a sock on the floor. And he's like, oh, you disrespecting me? I'm like, ma, like, I just forgot the sock. Like, I, I'm going to put it, oh, that, that everything is disrespect. Like, you can't say nothing. You can't have no opinion. And I understand it. But then you get to a point where you're like, man, like, can I even voice how I feel? So that's just, that's another, sure. another way you get shut down because it's like, yo, I can't even express myself in my own household. And I think it's a lot of young men who might feel like that. Women, too. And then they go to school and unleash because they're mm-hmm. like, well, y'all can't beat me. Y'all can't say nothing to me. Y'all can't do nothing because all of this uh, feelings that you have inside, you can't express it in your own house out of fear of whatever the case may be. So you go to school and you act out because it's like you have nowhere to exert this energy. You know what I mean? So I think, um, yeah, so just I think that was just what um, just communication was one of those things I never learned at a young age, like how to express myself. And even as I got older and try to have these conversations, it's still tough because if you've never addressed something and you try to change something, like, hey, you know, hey, guys, I'll try to tell my family, hey, let's talk, let's sit mm-hmm. and talk about this. And it's like, ah, we ain't trying to talk about nothing. And I get it because it's a lot of hurt. It's a lot of pain, especially growing up in these neighborhoods. Man. Right. It's a lot. It's a lot, man. It's it's uh it's it's uh multi-layered um that I think a lot of people don't understand that are looking from the outside in. For sure. And you talked about duality a bit. Did you struggle finding your sense of identity oh. as not just, you know, yes, I did. a black boy, but a black boy with African roots, yes. which is its own level. Listen. And I'm also trying to like imagine what that's like being in the projects in Newark yeah. as well. Because that, you know, that it's not the suburbs, let's say. Listen, <laughs> I didn't know, listen, I, I just wanted to fit in. Mm-hmm. I'm like, because, you know, I would go to school and sometimes my mom, she would show up in the entire African garb. <laughs> Your mom I'm was like, old Yo, in school, mom, fully Please, dead. man, don't do this to me. I'm just trying to fit in. I'm trying to get some friends. And, you know, back then it wasn't cool to be a foreigner. They they call you African booty scratcher. Right. And it's I'm like, bro, like, okay, I guess, you know, but even my... Uh, 
my parents and my aunts and them, they was like, man, when we first moved here, it was rough. Like, people making fun of our accents and this and that. And they just wanted to fit in, too. So for me, yeah, it was tough, but I got through it. I think basketball is what got me through that. Because once it was like, I'm like, okay, let me see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I saw that all the kids in the neighborhood played basketball. So I'm like, all right, you know what? I guess I got to do this to make my life easier. And to the fact where I didn't have to do nothing illegal. I didn't have to join no gangs. I didn't have to do nothing that was outside of my character. All I had to do was play basketball and people would leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Like, so if somebody tried to come mess with me, like, oh, no, 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 he'd be at the park every day. It's like, all right, cool. So I'm like, okay, this is my thing. I could do this and it could keep me safe and I could make friends and I don't have to get in trouble to do that. But yeah, just um, trying to belong, trying to fit in, trying to just be normal. Um, it was hard because it's like, when you're a kid, you don't understand how important those roots are, how important that culture is. And you don't want to completely erase that. But I do disagree with people who say uh, African-American or Black culture doesn't exist. It does exist. Mm -hmm. it, it, is our, it is the leading driving force of the world's culture. Like, Black culture, period, mm -hmm. is just, as far as when it comes to music, when it comes to style, when it comes to sports, our, our talent, our bodies, our minds are the number one resource. It is, it is America's number one import, Black talent. Mm-hmm. Think about how the billions and billions of dollars. So I, I hate when people say that, like, especially because uh, um, Black Americans have been here since, what, 1600? Or even way before that, from what we're finding out now. Like, right. We've been here. So it's like, okay, uh, there is a culture here that they've done everything to destroy. So it's like people are, are just now coming into relearning the things that they tried to erase. So, yeah, I mean, it was hard, but, I, you know, I would have had no other way. I think I, it worked out. And once people, you know, find out what type of person I am, I think they're just like, all right, he cool, man. He African, but he cool. Did you did you ever have a pull, though, being in that environment? And, of mm -hmm. course, everybody's not making the right choices. Everybody's right. not going to St. Benedict's. Mm -hmm. And especially because the male figure in your life made a different choice. Yeah. Did you ever feel a pull to take a different route? Oh, yeah, I did because, because you in it. You know, you're literally, it, you're in, the literally middle of it. in it. So you see your friends who are in it, they in gangs now. And it's just like, okay, I guess it just looked cool. It felt cool. You just like, man, I just want to do what my friends are doing. You don't understand. You're not seeing college. Mm -hmm. You're not thinking about a wife and a family. You're not thinking about nothing. You're thinking about right now as a child. And I think it's hard to get uh, young people to see that because, I, well, I think it's uh, harder for older people to understand younger people who may not understand what college is. It's like, listen, man, the way our brains work, we're not even thinking about that. We're just trying to take the test for the week, whatever we got in yes. school, and go outside on the weekend. We don't even, especially if you go outside and you don't see that. You don't see a doctor. You don't see the engineer. You don't see the lawyer. You see the dudes on the corner. And you see, oh, the girls are trying to talk to them. So you're like, okay, I guess that's what we should be doing, though. You know, so... There was a pull, and I will say as well, the music. Now, I, I love rap. I love hip-hop. But I think, how should I word this? But I love our music, but sometimes I feel like when you're in those environments, the music could be the soundtrack for your behavior. Um, and, I, and I understand sometimes we like to say, yeah, these, uh, these songs are describing, you know, the environment you know, that we live in. But if you if you talking about, yeah, I shot him, and then I shot his mother, then I shot his mm -hmm. baby, then I shot... You ain't really telling... It's like you just talking. You just... You're not telling 
And I feel like a lot of our youth are listening to this and it's driving their actions, along mm-hmm. with the drug use, along with the just the, you know, I think our culture sometimes we got to be a little bit, little bit more responsible. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you got rappers who are telling kids to use drugs and they don't even use them themselves. So right. at that point, you got to be like, so what's going on here? You know, and then you got to look at who owns these, who owns the music, who owns the label? Why are they pushing this? Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that's the main reason. I think it's a multi-layered thing, but I think that is one part of it. And even the way we treat women, you know, do we hear certain songs and certain words are used? And I didn't want to admit it at first because I'm I'm listening, I'm listening because I love it. I love this music. I love rap. It's what I grew up on. But nowadays, especially, man, I hear certain lyrics and I'm like, ah, oh, man, you know, I'd be like, this is crazy. And I could imagine a 14-year-old listening to this. Right. You know what I mean? Who has no guidance, who mother is always working, who father may not be in the picture. And they look up to these guys. So, yeah, those are the things that could drive you to just the culture, I think, sometimes. is um, I think our culture is everything that we think is anti-establishment is actually pro-establishment. Because when we on the corner selling drugs, you helping the system. Mm-hmm. When you're not doing what you're supposed to do, you helping the system. You you pushing the image that they want us to be. So all the things that we looked up to growing up that was supposed to be this anti-establishment activity, it actually helped it. It actually helped it grow, and it actually helped uh, other people hoard all the wealth. It, it took away our workforces. It's, it's a lot. But, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm actually surprised, though, that your mom even allowed you like to hang out. But you know what it was? It was just at some point, I say this like, and I think this goes with a lot of uh, single moms. They just be tired sometimes, mm-hmm. man. If you got to work and she just sleeping, I'm getting old, I'm a teenager. It's just like, you know, just be careful. That's all she yeah. can do sometimes. Um, and I had a good situation because, you know, my grandmother was around my aunts, but at the same time, they're like, you know what? He's grown, he's growing up. We trust you. We trust that you come from a good home and to make those decisions. But what I would tell anybody, like parents who feel that way, at the end of the day, when you walk outside that front door, you still got to make decisions. You could come from the best home in the world. Like when you come out there, the, them forces is very strong. Right. Them forces is very strong. So um, you have to be grounded. And one of my best friends, uh, he was Haitian. So, but he was very good at school. And um, I think he was somebody who kept me grounded because I was like the class clown a little bit. Like people always were like, yo, Jason, you smart, but you just don't do work. Like in school, they would call me the underachiever. Like my teachers to be like, man, Jason. Like they, my one teacher didn't even call me by my first name. Like, man, underachiever, what do, you, what do you want from me? And my high school was like that. They kept it real. Like you would say what college you want to go to and they'll look at your transcript and start laughing. Like, like, bro, don't, like bro, don't even come to me with this. But um, yeah, the one thing I will say, I think going back to St. Benedict's, that's what kept me out of all of that. And I'm thankful that my mom made the sacrifice and gave all her money to make sure I went to that school because it was a school that was about accountability. Like at the end of every semester, they would post everybody's grades like on the wall. So you could go and publicly. see publicly. So you could go see like, okay, bruh. But the the motto of the school is whatever hurts my brother hurts me. So if you see your brother slacking, you pick him up like, bro, come on, man. Like we all trying to go to college. And I think that changed everything for me because we all like when you around, when people, you know, when they, when they say, yo, if you hang around five broke people, you'll mm-hmm. be the sixth one. And I think it was kind of like that situation where it was like, yo, my friends is trying to go to college. I guess I might as well. I don't want to be left behind. So that changes your mindset. Like, okay, I don't want to be in last place. Yeah, I want to join them. I want to go here. I want to do this. So I will say like that experience with my brothers is what kept me in check, you know. And one of the things that I was actually going to mention before you even said that, which, you know, further enforces the point is that whether you're talking about negative choices, mm-hmm. be it gangs or engaging in 
illegal activity or going to college and trying to achieve. So much of the driving forces in our lives, especially at that age, is just wanting to belong somewhere. Yeah. A sense of belonging, which is why exposing people to other opportunities and other types of communities and positive figures, be it their peers or folks that are older than them, is so important. Mm-hmm. Because then it becomes exactly what you said, like, well, these are my, my homeboys or these are my homegirls and I don't want to be left out. I, yeah. I want to belong to something. We really do thrive in community. Um, yes. So kudos to your mom yeah. for, you know, living in the projects, but taking whatever resources she had to make sure that you got that exposure mm. and the right type of support that you needed. Yeah. To, to make appropriate choices. During that time, did you have senior male role models that you feel played a role in you making the right decisions? I think, like I said, my my school where mm-hmm. I was at uh, played a big part in that. And when my uncle came home, and I think just seeing his uh, his mindset, because he was always a smart guy um, that just got caught up in the wrong things. Um, but he was always somebody who made me want to read more. Mm-hmm. Like he would he would be like, yo, read this, read this, stay up on this. Like, and to go back to the music, when he's, he he always tell, like, we have these conversations. He's like, man, when we was coming up, the 5% thing was hot. You know, KRS-One, Wu-Tang, like, they was talking about Brother King, Africa. This, this is the music that was going on at the time, so it was molding our minds, you know, and that's how powerful it can be if everybody's on code and everybody's on the same wavelength. And this is before corporations got involved to say, okay, we're just going to push this to make, you know, make money. But before it was a corporate thing, rap was really about telling those stories and getting the message out and making it palatable for everybody, making it easy to understand and giving you chants and things to keep in your mind. Because I think like music, I think it does uh, vibrate on a certain frequency and it resonates within your subconscious. Mm -hmm. Like your subconscious is one of the most powerful things because it, it makes you do things that you don't even realize why you're doing it. And I think a lot of us feel like we're making choices when really you're you're making a habit. It's things that you already do. You're not even thinking. You think you're thinking, but you're not. You're going to do this regardless because it's so deeply embedded in your psyche that you're going to do it regardless. And I think when you repetitively, that's why I be careful to what I listen to nowadays, because when you repetitively listen to something, it starts to live in you and mm-hmm. you don't even realize, even if you don't go be a drug dealer, hearing a certain song might how you treat your woman, how you treat your your mom, how you treat your, you know, so I always try to keep myself in check with what I listen to. I still listen to it every now and then, but I know for majority of my day, I got to make sure whatever is in my ears is, you know, pushing me forward. For sure. Um, but yeah. So how did you end up at Rutgers? Oh, man. So like, whew, this was after my sophomore year. And like I said, I showed my English teacher, uh, Mr. Onion. I showed him my grades. I'm like, yeah. You know. Wait, I'm, did you say Mr. Onion? Mr. Onion, yes, Mr. Onion. I, to, the fact that his name is Mr. Onion and he taught high school students, that's a brave man. Yes. But anyway, oh, continue. Yeah. Yes, I used to get him every day. <laughs> I used to get on that man. My apologies, Mr. Onion, but I love that man. But um, I showed him my grades and he was, I was like, yeah, you know, I want to go to North Carolina. I want to go to Duke. I wanna... He was like, bro, listen, UPS is hot. <laughs> That's messed up. He was like, listen, UPS is hiring, bro. I don't know where you think you're going with these, but, but I don't know if that was like reverse psychology, but after he told me that, I'm like, you know what, man? I'm going to prove Mr. Onion wrong. My whole junior year, I got high honor roll because I was just like a C student the first mm-hmm. two years because I'm like, I'm just here, man. I don't know. I'm a class clown. I'm just talking, making jokes. But after he told me UPS is hiring, I was like, all right, man, you know what? Bet. All right, watch this. So my whole year. So basically that junior year got me into college because my senior year, I 
I barely did anything, but I will say my So, <laughs> just the junior year did it. Well, yeah, yeah. That wouldn't happen if for Rutgers in 2019, yes, but yeah. But yes, but it was, but what helped me was because there was a black man at Rutgers who had went to Bennett's. Mm. So, see, that's where them could, that's where we need, uh, we need our brothers and sisters, right. man, when we in certain spots. So, when I went up there, he just liked me. He was like, you know what, I'm going to make sure you get in here. So, then... um when I went, yeah, so I ended up, and then I did the EOF program, uh, Livingston Campus. This was this was before it became one big school. Mm-hmm. The campuses, like Livingston Campus was like the black campus at, at New Brunswick. It's the campus that had like the metal bars on the vending machine. Livingston like, Campus, it was, it, it it was, was a little special, yeah. It yes. was crazy, man. I'm like, yo, this is wild. <laughs> like, I thought it was rumors, like, oh, this is the black campus. When I got there, I'm like, oh, okay, I see, like, the conditions here. But, uh, yeah, that's how I got into that, just, um, just performing my junior year and... Uh, going to talk talk to somebody, and that that really helped me out, and that's how I got on campus. So, did you start your freshman year of college and know like this is what I want to do? Here's my my plan for my life, or were you still kind of figuring it out? Uh, I think after saying I wanted to be a lawyer so mm-hmm. long, I just started to believe it because. So you were still on that lawyer. Path, yeah, because yeah. people kept asking, you know, when you at the cookout, you at different. They like Jason. So what you gonna do? What you gonna do? What you gonna do? What you gonna? I'm like, okay, I guess I'm gonna be a lawyer. They be like, oh, all right, cool. Because if I said businessman, <laughs> if I said, they be like, oh, how you gonna do that? I mean, explain it to me. What mm-hmm. are you thinking? But when you say engineer, lawyer, or doctor, they the know. Question stop. Clear it's cut like, path. All right, cool. But uh, yeah, but I think um, and what uh, kind of geared me towards political science was like I told you I like reading, but I love the study of the human mind, and I think a lot of people um, think political science is just government stuff, but I think it's a lot of philosophy. It's a lot of how groups of people think and it how is. you can get them to think certain things. So when I'm reading Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and all of these things and Karl Marx and all these different philosophers, it's just like, okay, I just got so infatuated with how the human mind works. Why do we think the way we think? Why do we believe the mm-hmm. things we do? Why do we pray the way we do? Why do we eat the way we do? And there was literally a book on all of it. So I just, I love to read. Like that's still to this day, I feel like I've learned more in the past five years than I did in my entire schooling because now it's like I'm absorbing the, the information. Like I live the information. Like I don't just read because I feel like when we in school, we just read and take a test. Yeah, you're just trying to get you through the next paper the or the next you're trying exam. You to get to the quiz and then once you feel that paper out, you're like, it's gone, it's boom. It's I out say of that, head. DeMarcus and I talk about this all the time. I think he remembers more from college than me because he's just a history buff. Yeah. But most of that stuff for me is a blur. Yeah. Like, I, like it was so much going on, and, and often black students are dealing with a lot anyway, just yeah. financially and trying to yeah. make it work, that, like, let me just retain this information long enough mm-hmm. to get through the next exam or the next paper, where you do wonder. Um, I, I think college helps to think you, it help you to learn how to think yeah. um, and analyze and examine. But if we're talking about tactical information from those classes... Oh, uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, man. Like you just you just learning to learn and be like, all right, how can I go make sure I could get a job and get, you know, take right. care of my family? So I think that's what it provides. Um, but yeah, I think philosophy and I think just and even um mythology. Mm-hmm. Because I think sometimes whatever we believe, it stops us from going in the past and seeing what was before us. And I feel like human beings have been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So I feel like there's so much information that we don't get a chance to tap into, like just because we'll be like, okay, well, this is what I believe and I can't look at nothing else. It's like, no, you don't gotta, you don't have to partake in whatever it is, but 
no matter where it comes from, I will at least look at it sure. to be like, man, I could pull something from this. I could pull something from that. And I think things, history repeats itself. So I think everything we're doing now, they probably were doing 10,000 years ago in a different form. So I always try to, you know, uh, go and read these things as much as I can and study. And I love history too. Like I love, like now especially, I used to hate history mm-hmm. in high school. I'm like, I don't care about none of these dudes, man, with gray <laughs> wigs and, you know, the powder on their face. I'm like, I don't care about none of this. But now, like when I'm really getting into history is like my history and our history. Oh man, it's like my blood just starts. Ooh, it's like my DNA is activating because mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, okay, where was this? When you hear the truth, it just resonates differently, you know. But yeah, that's where I'm at now. So when did the shift happen? Where you, you know, you're at Rutgers, you are studying political science, kind of mm-hmm. going through this lawyer thing. Mm-hmm. When did you decide, I'm into this over here, maybe I'll take a different path? Uh, man, this happened maybe my sophomore year, and we were just sitting around, I think it was winter break, and we were just bored. I think we was playing NBA 2K, just chilling. And my, my former business partner, Toby, he had this bag, like he had this leather bag, it was real nice. He was like, I was like, man, where'd you get that? He's like, man, I found it at this thrift shop. And he was just like, yo, what do you think? Like, we should, because at that time, we was really in the clothes. Like, okay. I was just spending money on stupidness, man. I'll get the refund check. That refund check. I'll get the refund check and just blow it. Balling like, for 3.2 man, now seconds. Man, I think about it now, I'm like, <laughs> yo, if I had saved all them things, man. But yeah, like, you, you're not taught financial literacy at that age. But yeah, so we got the refund checks, and I'm just blowing it. We just buying clothes. So at that time on campus, we was just known, like, me and him was just known for buying clothes and having stuff that people ain't have. So he's like, yo, what do you think about this bag? And we like, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And he's like, you think we should start something? I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know what? Let's, why not? Let's just, we ain't doing nothing else. So we start looking into it. And um, because leather bags, if you go to Louis or Gucci, these things are like $800,000. Right. So we're like, all right, how can we develop a product that we can sell to our peers for like way less, like $150, $200? So we started that process. Um, and then we started looking overseas. And I don't even know, like... And then we just had a sample one day, like, from India. Like, I, I still have it, man. This thing is beautiful. It's, okay. still, it's still at my house. We got to unpack it a little bit. Yes. Because you're, you're like, yeah, we started looking into it, and all of a sudden we had a sample. Yes. How did that happen? Okay, so I will yes. put y'all on game. Everybody who's listening yes. to this right now, there's a website called Alibaba.com. You type in anything <laughs> on here, they got it. I know Alibaba for sure. Anything. So we just started... I mean, we got a couple bad ones, but mm-hmm. all it takes is one good one. So we got one good one. No, we got a couple good ones, but a lot of the companies we're finding, they working with the Tommy Hilfiger's, the Calvin Klein's. So they doing $100,000, $200,000 orders. And here we are, just college kids. So we was like, all right, cool. Our next refund check round, we're going to take it. We're not going to live on campus. We're just going to, you know, stay with somebody or whoever whoever got a bed or a couch <laughs> that night. Let me use that. But we're going to take these because we got to pay the money back anyway. So we might as well use it to flip it and make us some money. So we were like, okay. So we took that and started our business. And um, so once we got that connect, they were like, okay, you know, we want to work with you guys. We know you're a small company. So you guys only have five grand to give us. All right, we'll do it. So that was what launched our first uh back sales. And then, I mean, we were just going around campus telling people at that time, Twitter was still kind of new to everybody. Facebook, I was still using a lot. And they just started selling. And yeah, okay, was, it was wild, man. All right. So you were low-key homeless? Low-key. Low-key homeless. Low key home, but you know what? I feel like everybody always gave me a place to stay. Yeah. Man, In college, you can find a place to lay yes. your head. If, if you have friends. If you also, have yeah, friends, you, you, can you know, find a place. if you got a lady friend that's interested <laughs> in you, you know, always had a place for me to stay. You know, This so, is uh, another running 
theme on the show. Yeah. That is gentlemen coming on and talking about the lady friend that oh, held listen, them down. Listen, <laughs> salute to my main lady right now, because I know she's going to listen to this. I love you, baby. But yes, let's, let's focus yeah, on her. Let's focus on her. But, you know, in college, hey, man, there was a lot of good friends who wanted to see me succeed. Were and I'm thankful, you? yes. They were feeding you, too. Yes, mm-hmm. Extra meal swipes. You need those. <laughs> when you coming down to the end of that semester, man, and you ain't got the meal swipes, there's some people who have held me down, and I'm thankful for all of you guys. But I, I love my baby. I love you, girl. Yes, but she's she's the she, main yes, squeeze yes, now. Yes, you know, yes. that, that's part you of your... Make that very clear. That's part of your story back part then. Yes. Part of my story. So you live in kind of pillar to post, yes. you know, bouncing around. Mm-hmm. You, you guys dumped some money into getting a sample. Yeah. And then you had some more money. So were you just, did you set up an actual company? Were you like, okay, Yeah, it was called Herds of the Fathers. Mm -hmm. So uh, pretty much what that meant was, um, you know, there are groups, everybody lives in a group, Um, whether that be a job, whether that be school, whether it be whatever. These are, so these would be the herds. And the fathers would be the people who, you know, uh, help give birth to everybody else's style or whatever they think or whatever the case may be. So our our company is where those fathers meet, creating a new herd. So it was okay. Herds of the Fathers. That was the name of our company. So, yeah, we did that. That was like my entire college career, pretty much. And once I got started, because I always knew I wanted to do something. I didn't know what. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, I want to do something, but I just don't know what. And that, that finally clicked for me. And I was just like, all right, cool. This is what I'm going to do. And yeah, we started doing that, and which led into us making our own shoe. We had a boot. Like, it was, oh, man. So, okay, so what kind of numbers were you putting up with the bag first? With the bag? As far as, like, sales-wise? Like, it wasn't a lot. We was getting, like, 15,000, 20,000, but, like, for... For, for somebody kids, who's like, yeah, 2021. Like, I'm like, yo, this is amazing. Like, even though this isn't life-changing money, it just felt good to, like, go to sleep and wake up and see three orders being made. Sure. It's like, oh, my God. Like, I didn't even know this was, like, a possibility, you know? So it just got my mind moving, like, as, as far as activity and a whole bunch of other things where I'm like, finally, like, I've always had this in me, but I just didn't know where to put it. And school was boring me at the time, and I felt like, okay, I got something here, which is why... I, uh, college for me was a great investment because I met people that pushed my brain to another. Even if I felt like I didn't learn nothing academically, I felt like I made the connections that I was supposed to make to help unlock something that was always in me, but I wouldn't have figured out if I didn't go to school. So I think people go for different experiences. Sure. But I think that's just my personal experience. Like, I would tell people, listen, whatever you feel about college, find a way to get around the system and get there for as low as price as you possibly can. But I would suggest going one or two years because you never know. You might meet your next business partner. You might meet your... There's so many people that I'm in contact with. Like, I know doctors, lawyers. I could call up and be like, hey, can you help me with this? And I think that's just a valuable network to have. It really is about relationships. And that's number one. You know, one of the things that I always say that is a regret of mine is not fully immersing myself in the pen community when I was there because I felt I was working a lot, number one, but I was like, I don't really relate oh, to these. UPenn? Yeah, I went to UPenn. Oh, my best yeah. friend graduated from Yeah, go Same Quakers, goes. wackest uh, team name <laughs> ever. But anyway, um, so I was so busy kind of doing my thing and trying to survive that I didn't fully integrate. And also I didn't feel like I connected with a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. But now as an adult, in hindsight, mm-hmm. a lot of those kids you meet back then are your investors later, yeah. you know, or your your partners on an endeavor, either in school or at a later time. And and mm-hmm. those relationship are, relationships are incredibly crucial yes. um, for 
being able to help you in some way, introduce you to someone else, et, et cetera. I've been fortunate enough to build that relationship, those relationships and that network later. But at the time, I was just so, yeah. let me get in here, get this degree as quickly as possible and, that's, hey, and listen, get out. Oh, ain't nothing wrong with that. Mine was, the, I was on the opposite end. I was partying. You were like, Let's get, was, let me listen, get this money. Man, I was having a great <laughs> time. I wish I concentrated more, actually, but I had a great time in college. I will say that. And I mean, be clear, for a lower price point of a bag and for no real machine behind you, yeah. $20,000 is nothing yeah. to, to it, you know, listen, sneeze at. It was so cool to me, man. I just, and I don't think I understood it at the time. Like, I, it was just something to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, man, finally I got something to, to do. But I think a lot of people come to me like, yo, Jason, you don't understand what y'all doing. And it's like, I don't. Like, we just young. We figuring just out. figuring it out. I didn't go to business school. I didn't do anything. This was just me on a computer, me reading a couple books and being like, all right, cool. Let's just do this. So the bag starts to take off. Yeah. And then... You decide with your partner, let's do this boot. Yes. What happened there? So we made a we made a boot because um, we were into boots and we were just like, yo, it would be so cool to have our own shoe. Like you, when you see your favorite athlete sign a shoe deal and you're like, oh, man, I got to go buy. So mm-hmm. we're like, you know what? Let's let's go into something else. And we made a boot. So we found some factory in China that could do it for us. And we had a so we were like, OK, how can we stand out from these other companies? We had a wooden box. Right. So it was a wooden box. Um it had a, a staff on it. Like, that was our logo. It was like a futuristic mm-hmm. staff because, you know, herds, right. shepherd, leaders, stuff like that. And on the side of the box was um, engraved, everything you need is within. So double entendre, like every, the boots you're looking for yes. is within, but everything you need is within yourself. Everything you're looking for is in the mirror. And you guys need to figure out a way to internalize that. So even back then, I was trying to sneak messages into the product. Um, just where my mind was going at that time, I was still in the infant stages of how I'm talking now. But even that, even back then, I knew like, okay, you know, we can't just put stuff out here. We have to have a purpose. And yeah, so after that happened, um, that's where one of the toughest part of my life happened because I know that's what you wanted to go into. I don't know if you want to go into that. Let's do it. But uh, yeah, so... I mean, we were just on a run, man. We were like, yo, this is it. We was getting on Hypebeats. A double XL did a spread on us. And we were just like, oh, man, finally. And then we had we had just got these new samples made. We had an event. It was 300 people at the event. We sold like 15 pairs of boots that night. And the boot was like 250 So it was a, a yeah. quality yes. shoe. So we was doing our thing. And then right when we sent, we sent uh, the manufacturer 10 grand. Like, okay, we got we got these new bags coming out. So a month goes past and still nothing. We're like, okay, you know, bags take time. So we hit them up. They're like, yeah, yeah, it's coming, it's coming. Two months go by. It's like, okay, what's up? Three months go by. And then we come to find out the manufacturer folded. Took all our money. Took your money. Took our money. So it was one of the most crushing things that ever happened to me. Because think about it, I put years of my life into that. And at that time, that's what everybody knew me for. Like, mm-hmm. yo, Jason the bag dude, you know, that's what he's doing. So, um, yeah, that crushed me. I mean, it sent me to a depressive state. Not like I want to kill myself depression, but just like, where do I go from here? Right. You know, like this, this was this thing that was promising. It was working. I was being creative. I was able to express myself. And it's like, it was just all gone. So at that point, I had to sit with myself and be like, um, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to take this little bit of money that I have left and keep going with it? And even after that, like, I would hit up so many. It was just so hard to, like, when it comes to leather, it was just a very tough business. It's not like T-shirts. T-shirts you could get anywhere. Like, when it comes to leather, the fact that we found somebody to work with us was just a blessing. But it was just so hard. I just called. I was making cold calls. It's like, man, if you don't got 100 grand, we not messing with you. Mm -hmm. If you ain't got 50 grand up front. So it was just one of those things where I was like, you know what? I just got to take this L. And that's that. 
So you decided to yeah. fold the business all together. Yeah, I sold it. Actually, I sold it to my half to my partner. To your partner. Because he was like, nah, I can't let, he was just more so like, nah, I can't give up, I can't. And in my mind, I felt like, you know, okay, I don't think this is going to work. And I think I started to develop a relationship with fashion because I think fashion is weird sometimes because because I'm, I'm just a regular dude that likes to hang out and kick it. I feel like sometimes with fashion, people like to be disrespected. And the more they get disrespected, the more they spend money. It's like when people walk into Louis Vuitton and they make them feel like crap, like you can't, like they follow like you around the prove. store. Mm-hmm. They make you, it's like, oh, you think I ain't got money? All right, cool. Then they sitting here spending more money with people that treat you horribly. and it, Or they, or somebody will sell a shirt that's worth $50 for $500 to make you feel like, oh, you ain't rich enough to afford this. And that'll make people save up to buy that $500 mm-hmm. shirt. So the part of fashion philosophy for me was just, I, I couldn't get with it. And I would go to these trade shows sometimes. And I'm just like, I feel out of place here. Like, this isn't for me. So I think in the midst of that, in the midst of losing that money, it made, it made it easier for me to be like, you know what? Something's telling me that this is just not the way that I should go. But this was my business school. This was my way that I was able to um, get ideas out into the world, uh, try to sharpen my iron, sharpen my skills as far as editing, as far as picture taking, as far as commercial creation, as far as sales, marketing. How do I get people to gravitate towards something that didn't exist before? That's not a brand name because that was hard within itself to get people to spend $250, $300 on something that they've never heard of because a lot of times people buy brands because their friends know what it is. So they could be like, oh, okay, I like that. I know mm-hmm. what that is. So for people to take a risk with us was was big within itself, but it taught me a lot. So I I I I don't regret that situation. It was it was a beautiful situation and it helped groom me and turn me into what I am now, which led me to where I'm going now. So take me back to that time because even though it was an indication, there was indication or signs that this may not be for me. Mm-hmm. To be in a situation where you are picking up steam and gaining notoriety Mm -hmm. and the press is picking up on you, you know, then to take what a a large portion of the money that you had Mm -hmm. and put it into the next phase and have the rug pulled out from under you and make a conscious decision, which is commendable, Mm -hmm. to step away. But there, despite knowing that's what you needed to do, Mm -hmm. I presume there had to be some level of emotional or psychological effect. It was tough. And it was a decision I sat on for months before I made it. I like, I don't like to make just uh, brash or rush decisions. Mm-hmm. If I want to do something, I will sit on it for a while. And it was just something that was bugging me. I'm just like, you know what? I got to... Because I think a lot of times you hear, never give up. Don't quit. Don't. And I think there's a fine line. Like, some people need to give up. If you can't right. sing, stop. <laughs> might not be you, It might not be for you. Listen, the league, everybody don't make it to the NBA, bro. Like, I get it. Like, I get it. But... At, and that's where self-awareness comes. You got to know yourself. Mm-hmm. I can't give somebody advice to tell them. There are times where, yeah, you shouldn't quit. You shouldn't give up. But you got to know the difference. Like you got, And I think that takes a certain level of self-awareness to know, like, okay, you got to know your own heart. You got to know your own mind. Like, this may not be for me anymore. Or I'm just not good at this. Or whatever the case may be. And I think that it was hard. It was very hard to walk away from it because I put so much of myself into it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, but I know what I have to do. Even though I don't know what I'm going to do, I know I have to step away from this because it's not doing me any good. It's not It's not sitting right with me. And just something in my gut was telling me, you got to step away. So you do that. You sell your half to your partner. And I mean, mm-hmm. we're not talking about like, yeah, it's not you know, selling yeah. like a, a business that's so established that you're about to cash out and yeah. go find yourself. Like, yeah. you know. No, it was just a little couple couple grand. Right. So yeah, you, you sell wasn't. you sell him, you know, sell him your, your portion, yeah. get bought out. What happens that morning? The next morning when you wake up and it's like this business that you've been dedicating yourself to and we're good at is no more mm-hmm. as it relates to you. 
and you're still in school at this point or you're, no, you're out? No, you're out. I'm out at this point. But were you working in that full time? Yes. Okay, so you're in that full time. Yeah. Didn't take the traditional route of mm-hmm. going to school, getting a job, mm-hmm. you know, doing what you need to do yeah. from that perspective. You you went out on the limb yeah. and it was working. Yes. And now you gave that up. What did that first day feel like? Uh, it felt crazy, man, because I'm just like, what do I do? Um, and I, I will say, like, I just got real standoffish and... <sighs> It just became tough to be around me because I just was like, man, I don't know what to do. Um, So that took a lot of self-searching. And then as far as like relationships, you know, that took a hit, too, because it's kind of like, man, you know, somebody's trying to get through to me. And it's just I'm just like, man, I don't feel like doing nothing. I don't feel like it's just my confidence level was at an all time low. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I think women, especially you guys are just natural nurturers. So you want to help whoever it is you love or whoever you're in a situation with. And when you feel like you can't do that, that becomes frustrating. Right. So it's kind of like, you know, I know you want to help me, but it's like, you can't help me right now. Like, this is something that I got to figure out. Um, But eventually I got through it, which led me to today, like what I'm doing now and just the vision I have for my life. So we like to to dig a little deep here on the okay, December 26th podcast because, you know, we, we hear these stories and you know, people are like, it was a rough time, but I got through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we both know that when you're in it, yeah. you know, what it takes mm-hmm. to get through it is all te- often multifaceted and yeah. there are many layers to that and it takes a while. So what was the first step for you to say, okay, I got to get on a different path and support myself and, and figure this out? Um, It was just realizing like, bro, like you didn't die. Like nothing happened. You lost the company. It happens. Um, You know, get over it. Like what, what you going to do now? You going to complain? You going to... You know, I soaked long enough. It's like, all right, bro, like, you got it. It's just these talk. I talk to myself a lot. Like, I will admit, I don't know if other people listening to this do, but I have conversations with myself daily, like, all the time. And people always overhear me like, are you talking to yourself again? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. Um, Because I think sometimes you have to do that. Like, there are conversations that another person will not understand. It's like, you kind of, when you're thinking something, it's different than when you say it to yourself. And you're like, okay, well, how do you feel about it? Okay, so, yeah, just having those conversations with myself, having those conversations with my lady, like, she, I think that was a point in time where I had to uh, get through my communication barrier, like how learning how to express myself. And I think that just melted away a lot of the walls that I had put up, like, yo, just being able to talk, like just speaking on what we were talking about earlier, where I, we just didn't know how to do that. Right. That situation led me to be able to talk more, to be able to communicate and just really be able to sit and talk with myself and be like, OK, this is what you need to do. You need to just get right. At this point, you need to get your mind right. You need to get your body right. You need to get your relationships right. You need to get everything squared and move with a purpose and start doing everything with intention. No matter what it is, whatever comes, whether it's a big money maker or whatever the case may be, just do whatever you feel like doing. And I think that is what got me through that, just talking through it and voicing it and not keeping it in. I think that's a very big step with whatever you're going through. You got to talk about it, whether that's writing it in mm-hmm. a journal or diary or whatever, or whether that's just sitting and talking to somebody who wants to listen. Just you got to talk through it. And, you know, I, I do think that is incredibly important to ex- to really work through verbally what you're going through. And it's commendable to say, you know what, I'm going to pursue what's best for me, whether it's a moneymaker or not. But the reality of it is bills still coming. Oh, yeah. Right? So yeah, how, yeah, yeah. how did you survive financially during Listen, that time? I just got a regular job. I just was working at a school and that was it. I was just helping around the school. And that's pretty much what I was doing to get money at that time. Like I was still living at home at my grandmother's house. So I was still figuring it out, like, okay, I don't have this business no more. I moved back home. I'm here. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
help out around the house and I'm just going to figure this thing out. And I tell a lot of people that because I think sometimes, especially with social media, we have this pressure like to keep up with everybody. And it leads us down roads of unhappiness because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, yeah, you got this crib and you got this car, but you hate what you do. Yeah, all your bills are paid, but you're miserable, you're tired, you're stressed. And I think sometimes we jump out on a ledge before we're ready. And I think in a lot of other communities and Caucasian communities or whatever the case may be, they live with their parents for long periods of time. Like mm-hmm. these people be there 30, 35, still living with their parents on the estate and saving their bread until they ready to go. And I think with us, we be so quick to go. But I think, um, listen, man, to everybody listen, if you got to go live with your parents or your grandmother or your aunt or whoever, go live there, man. Just respect their rules because, listen, it's their house. <laughs> They'll be quick and, to remind you. And they going to remind you, you know. But I think sometimes we put ourselves in financial holes out of pride and ego. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to start just putting that to the side. And if you got a vision and you got a plan, just be like, hey, listen, I got to stay in my grandmother's house for now. Whoever dealing with me at that time, if they can't accept that, then she's not the one for me or he's not the one for me. And if she really loved me for who I am, she ain't going to care where I live as long as I'm treating her good and I got a plan. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like every woman wants a man that has a plan. For sure. It don't don't matter where you at at that current. They going to remind you if you you start slacking and you get to stay. A a strong woman will remind you every day, like, bro, you told me you was going to do this. Why you ain't doing it? (laughs) Like, what we doing? What's the plan? What's the time? So it's like, so I would say that, like, don't jump off a ledge just to try to uh, impress people that don't even care. Most of these people on social media do not care about you. They don't, they might like your pics and they might leave a comment here and there. They don't care about your life. They Like, there's only a select few people who actually care about you, who going to get you out of nowhere and say, hey, how you doing? How you feeling? Those are the only people you should be concerned with. Everybody else is like, all right, cool. And around that time, I, I completely got off social media. Like, mm-hmm. Which is what it takes sometimes. I left, I left because, like I said, that stuff will just mess your brain up. Because here I was, I had this thing that was moving, I had this company, and then it just disappeared. And then it comes that embarrassment that comes with that. Like, man, what the, you know, this is where everybody knew. And they, I, I thought I was going to be this, and I thought I was going to be that, and now I'm not that no more. And how am I going to, you know, look to everybody else? And I cared so much about what everybody else thought. But I felt like, yo, I had to just get off of this thing for a little bit and get my mind right and figure out what my next step is. And the irony to me is that I think we all have been through that. If you've gone through any kind of like failure or something, starting strong and taking a turn, when people tell me those stories, I am always like... I'm impressed that you even tried it mm-hmm. because most people are so afraid of losing yeah. um, money or time or what have you that they won't even make a choice. But to to step out there and to do it in and of itself um, is an achievement. But we, we live in this culture now, especially in the digital age and looking at technology start, startups, these other companies that have this explosive growth. Yeah. You know, they have one viral incident or something, the right feature or the right celeb picks it up or influencer and they literally are out of here that sometimes, I think a lot of the times actually, we don't realize that this, the start, stop, trying it, don't work, trying it, don't Mm -hmm. work, that Cat Williams skit is really most people's reality. Even a lot of people who have been very successful have been through... um, Multiple failures. Yeah, multiple failures and they finally found that lightning in a bottle that, that, that took off. But, you know, we just don't hear about all the other stuff, which is why we here are so focused on oh, telling yeah. that part of the story because yeah. I think it's more common than people realize. Yeah. Um. So you got a regular job. Mm-hmm. You just trying to get your mind right, right, work f- through that stuff mm-hmm. off social media. Yeah. But then that led you to other interests as well. Yes. Right? So, I mean, so within this depression and coming up out of that cave, when I was just saying get my mind right, body right. Um. So like my lady, she had shown me 
prior to that, she had showed me like Dr. Sebi like mm-hmm. maybe a year or two before that. And I was just like, oh, okay, cool. You know, I kind of brushed it off. So it was just one of these days during that depression where I was kind of watching YouTube videos. And I was just like, I saw, I started watching one of his speeches, then I watched the next one. And for me, like when you hear truth, it just resonates in your spirit mm-hmm. different. It's kind of like, yo, really? And then you go look stuff up and then you're just like, nah, that can't be true. Like, it can't just be broccoli and oatmeal. Like, <laughs> that can't, no. Like, it just can't be true, especially when you have all your preconceived notions, especially what has been taught to you your whole life. So that led me to like, man, this can't, like, and I'm African. I'm like, I can I couldn't imagine not eating, you know, I can't, I can't eat meat no more. What you talking about, man? So, I, so I'm like, all right, let me, uh, let me keep looking at, let me keep looking at it. But it was something about that uh, his his words in combination with um, Donald Trump becoming president. Mm-hmm. It was around the same time because I'm like, oh, so healthcare about to get crazy out here. So I definitely need to get right because <laughs> let me get my words yeah, in shape yeah, let now. Me get, because I'm like, listen, he about to be president. All right, healthcare about to get spooky out here. We need to get right. <laughs> and then at the time, I was watching these two shows on Netflix called, uh, well, one show on Netflix called The OA, and I was watching another show called Westworld. Mm-hmm. So these two shows had me questioning reality. So in a mixture of Dr. Sebi, OA, Westworld, and Donald Trump becoming president led me to the plant-based Well, Trump license. becoming president, president led, had me questioning reality as well. Yeah, but that's, yeah, a whole that's a whole other, other subject, thing. right? That's a whole other thing. But I'm like, yo, okay, yeah. And I understand what people are saying about Trump, but what Trump did for me was made me wake up. Mm-hmm. Like it made me be like, okay, we know what they, we know what their strategy, we know exactly what they want to do. It's no more hiding. Because I think with politicians in the past, like they'll smile in your face and you know, and then they behind your back, they stabbing you up. Right. But he came out like, listen, this is what I'm gonna do. This is what I'm gonna do. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm like, all right, cool. We need to get right. And I felt that initial anger on social media at first, and I think it died out because mm-hmm. I think with everything, everybody reacts, 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 but a lot of people aren't really doing. So it's kind of like, all right, this guy is president. What are we going to do now? We, we we don't have no time to act up. Let's. So I felt like with that being said, that was my that was my part in the fight. Like, OK, let me get myself right first. And then if I'm successful in that, then I just wanted to share with everybody else what I was doing. So you went to a plant based diet. Yes. Did you ease into it or were you like, that's it? I'm uh, going cold turkey. I will say red meat was the first thing to go. And then it was chicken and fish was the last. No, bacon was the last. I will say bacon. <laughs> uh, man, you listen, left bacon man, in the middle. That bacon, that maple bacon, and that thing Wait. hit that pot. Listen, so you man. went, you got rid of the red meat. You yeah, got rid yes. of the chicken. Yes. Fish. You got rid of fish, but left pork bacon? Yes. That's the funniest thing I've heard in a long time. Yo, listen, man. <laughs> Folks listening to this right now know when that bacon hit that pot and that sizzle and that smell. That thing is just something else, man. I like. I'm telling you, I don't know. Usually, pork is the first. It is, but listen, but bacon. bacon I feel like bacon don't count. It's like <laughs> it's porkish. You know what I mean? Like bacon is like in its own category. You know, it's not like a pork chop. I feel like bacon was like everything. Like you could put bacon on any sandwich, and it was just like, oh my god. The smell of bacon is amazing. It is. So that's like right before I became 100% plant based. I will tell you this story. I had a whole pack of bacon. (laughs) I threw it in the pot. I was like, listen, we gonna go out. You binged. You binged on bacon. Yes, I binged on bacon. I ate like a. It was a good like 10, 15 pieces. Can I say this is a very black approach to veganism? (laughs) But. I was like, listen, if I'm if I'm gonna get this up, I'm gonna give it up the right way, cause I'm like, I ain't never gonna have this again. So you know what? Let's do this. And I sat there and I was watching Cartoon Network eating bacon. Yes, it was a lovely day. <laughs> I will say that. 
All right. Etched in my memory. So you, you binged on the bacon. Binged I'm on sure the bacon. it's etched after like 15 Yo, you know, pieces. Okay. And then you switched to plant-based. Yes. And it was hard. It was tough. I think like the first couple weeks, I lost so much weight because I didn't know what I was doing. Right. And like at the time, all I had was chickpeas and garbanzo beans. Mm -hmm. I was like eating that almost every day because I didn't know what to make. I'm just like, yo, this is crazy. And then on top of that, I started having insane headaches. Yes. So I'm just like, yo, what is going on? I'm like, yo, I think I got to throw some bacon in the pot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I think maybe that was helping my brain at the time because I don't know what's going on. These chickpeas ain't working. <laughs> it's not me, doing man. it. So I'm like, but it was one of those things where I had to sit and I'm like, yo, if this is something you want to do, you got to stick with it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say the line between quitting and not quitting, you just got to know yourself. And right. I'm like, yo, I had to be honest with myself and be like, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't be mad at being plant-based. I got to be mad at myself. I don't mm -hmm. know. I don't know. I have no idea. You go, this, the way I describe it to people is like, learning how to breathe again. You've been eating your whole life. And then somebody tell you, yo, that ain't it. Then you're like, what do you mean? And then you try to do it another way, not knowing this is an entirely different way to eat food. And it takes a level of planning. Yes. Oh, that's the part. I've done yes. stints and I'm just like, you can't go yes. anywhere without like exactly. researching first. So that's, an, and it requires work. So that's why I tell people to ease in. Like mm -hmm. what I did, red meat, and then every 30 days you could take something away. Right. It could be something simple as soda. Like I've seen people with diabetes who just remove soda and they numbers just go shooting right. down. You know, so yeah. So that's what it was for me. But then as I got a, a hang of it, Watching different YouTubes. Um, one of the first cookbooks I bought was Thug Kitchen. Mm -hmm. And it had all of these like big, hearty, plant-based meals where I'm like, okay, yeah, I think I could do this. So it just took a level of experimentation. And I didn't even know how to cook before that. So I'm like, if I'm going to live this lifestyle, now I got to teach myself how to cook. So it's just a matter of YouTube, Amazon, Google, you know, one of the three greatest universities on the planet because they got everything you need. And yeah, that's how I got started with that. And you've stuck with it. I've stuck with it. Which led me into what I do now uh, on my account, Rebound Recipes. Mm -hmm. um, so like I said, and I had that idea in the beginning. As soon as I started, I'm like, yo, I got to tell the world about this. Because when you learn what's going on and you learn all the sickness that's going on right now, man, the heart disease is the leading killer of uh, human beings. You got uh, diabetes is up there, obesity. And then you got a lot of people don't know, like the third leading cause of death is hospital error. So you go to the hospital. You go there for one thing and you leave in a body bag because somebody made a mistake. Mm -hmm. It could be, oh, they were supposed to operate on your left side of your brain and they operated on the right. But they try to keep that on the low. And it, the number is actually closer to 500,000. Wow. So it's like, man. It just, and, then you, and then I started thinking about like all the money that's donated to these causes. So I'm like, how could food be it? Because why would it like why would we donate a gazillion dollars to these things for to find the cure when the answer is this? So it, it didn't make sense at first to right. me. And then um, I started to think like, yo, if you think there's going to be a pill or a shot or a procedure that rids you of the responsibility of thinking, think again, because it's never going to happen. There's no money in that. Mm -hmm. There's no money in giving somebody something and then it go away. You, They want a lifetime customer. Of course. So all of that being said, it made me angry because I'm like, yo, I'm around, especially in my neighborhood where I was at. It just, I seen so many sick people. My family, still to this day, you know, I got people dealing with blood pressure, breast cancer, uh, arthritis, lupus, you know, all of these things. And, and when people ask me what's the hardest part about being vegan, it's not the actual process. It's everybody around you that's suffering that you know, listen, just try this. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but there's a way to do it. I learned that's and that's what led me to rebound recipes. Cause like I said, I was angry in the beginning. Cause I'm like, nah, this can't be true, man. Like, nah. And I would tell people, like, hey, what you doing eating that, man? You can't eat that. They like, bro, like you was just eating this two weeks ago. Like, don't, don't come to me with that. So I had to learn. That's another thing. I had to learn how to be reserved about it and understand, like, yo, you can't push your views on everybody. And it and it twisted my thought process and teaching process, mm-hmm. which led me to rebound recipes. I'm like, all right, you know what? This is just something in my in my spirit. I feel like I gotta do. I don't even care what it what it leads to. And I haven't been on uh, social media for like a year. And now I'm about to, I was first, I was making bags and shoes. And now I'm coming like, back cooking. food though, yeah. Yeah, I came, but that was like my first thing I came back with. And I'm like, and it was kind of scary at first because I'm like, you know, people, I'm like, yo, what they gonna think? You know, I'm, I'm not making fashion stuff no more. I just, I'm talking about healthy food and they gonna think I'm a fraud and they mm-hmm. gonna think I'm, so I was just like, you know what? Nah, man, like if this is something that you feel in your heart, you must do, you gotta do it. And that's what led me to creating that show on my Instagram. So Rebound Recipes, I have to ask, you yeah. already know the answer, is basketball weaved into this yes. at all? Yes, <laughs> it's now going back to my original yes. story, just basketball. And what I wanted to do was really, because I feel like women, y'all have these pressures on y'all already to look a certain mm-hmm. way. So y'all always trying to lose a little weight here, lose a little weight here. But men, we have no pressure. Like we could have the 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 beer belly down to our knees and we like, eh, this whatever, still find she gonna somebody. love me. She yes. gonna love me anyway, bro. I mean, what do I need a six pack for? So I feel like, okay, how can I design this? Especially because black men is dying like crazy from colon cancer, from yes. prostate cancer. Um, I actually lost a friend to colon cancer. Um and he was in his 20s. So his that, 20s. that scared the life out of me. And at that time, I wasn't plant-based, but I was so confused. I didn't know what to do. I was like, I went to a GNC, got some pills. I'm like, maybe if I take these every day, I'll be all right. But I didn't change nothing about my daily life. So the thing about rebound recipes and basketball, I'm like, okay, how can I blend this with something that I know men love sports, at least the men that follow me? How could I blend this message in and kind of reel them in slightly mm-hmm. without doing it with judgment? Without saying, yo, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. I'm just going to put out what I do, and however you receive it, you receive it. And my caption was always like, yo, I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, around Chinese spots, um, liquor stores, the chicken shack, all of these things. And this is what I was used to. And I thought when I entered this lifestyle that I was going to have to give up all those things, but it wasn't true. I just had to change it. That's why the theme song is like, Rebound Recipe, same-ish, different ingredients. Like, I'm making the same stuff. I'm making Mm -hmm. lasagna. I'm making general souls. I'm making all of these things that we used to eating, but just in a different format. So I feel like I wanted to make it palatable for... um, Men especially, because it, it's harder to get us. Because we feel like to be a man, you got to eat the steak. Right. You got to eat the... Hardy you know and I mean? with meaty. Eat, hardy and meaty. But media. these things is like really slowing us down, making us sluggish. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, but I, I didn't want to do it out from a judgmental place. I wanted to do it like, yo, how would I want somebody to present this to me when I was 18, when I was 16? So that's how the basketball thing got linked to it. And I think it just made it unique. Like, yeah. this was my take. Because I was, you know, you go on these plant-based or vegan accounts, and it's like the all-white. And it's, <laughs> it's very... It's very clean it's very and clean. Way, yes. I'm like, nah, listen, we going to make this, like, just real organic. Just me in my kitchen. I'm just going to chop this thing up, edit it. And I'm going to make it the music. Like, the whole process, like, the music I use, the Mm -hmm. clips I use from old movies and old cartoons, it's to rap something that you haven't been exposed to in things that's original. Yeah. So I rap something that is foreign to you in original things that you've seen before to kind of hypnotize you, not in a bad way, because Mm -hmm. like I said, especially with social media, the sex, the drugs, the violence, the gossip, this is the stuff that rules. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right, how can I cut through this and get my message out? So it's kind of like, 
putting things that you're familiar with around it to get you to pay attention to what I'm doing. And I must say, I uh, I need chickpeas ain't gonna get it on a t-shirt. <laughs> that's the realest thing I've heard about changing your diet. It's yeah. like, okay, I, if I eat yeah. these beans one more day. Yeah, yeah, I was eating chickpeas, man, like crazy. But I just and I love chickpeas. I love but them. After a while, it's like, okay, I just need something else. Yeah, yeah. but it takes time, mm-hmm. and I kind of wanted to ease that transition because I knew how hard it was. I'm yeah. like, yo, let me. What did I need when I was going through this? And, you know, what can I give somebody to help them, even if they're not fully? Like, here mm-hmm. goes a meal, here, meal, here. Like, I tell people all the time, like, yeah, I don't really care what you eat. Like, yeah. I do, but I don't. Like, so I'm not going to, like, be that guy. I'm never that guy. Like, I could say this at, like, at work. Nobody knew I was vegan. I never told anybody mm-hmm. for, like, until the Christmas party when they had to put your food preferences <laughs> on it. I'm like, all right. Everybody's like, what? You vegan? Like, I didn't even know. But that made people more interested mm-hmm. because they're like, yo, you never was trying to force your lifestyle on us. Like, currently at my job, I made one person vegetarian, one person pescatarian, just from having these conversations. Like, and I never forced it on anybody. I tell people all that time, if you want, it's like what Malcolm X said, like, you don't want to talk about if somebody has a dirty glass of water, you got a clean one. You're not going to keep talking about their dirty glass mm-hmm. of water because they're going to be like, bro, shut up. Like, I don't want to hear you right now. Like, they're going to shut down. All you got to do is just drink your clear water. It just, you know, man, I love this clear water, man. Right. This is good. So if they, they're going to eventually ask you like, yo, what's that about? And I think a lot of people won't admit it, but I think a lot of people just are either scared because new things are scary. Right. When you don't know how to do something, it's scary when you don't know how to do something, especially when it comes to eating. Like, yo, bro, I've been eating my whole life. Like, what you mean? Like, now I got to think about eating? You know, but I've gone through that where I lived my whole life never reading an ingredients label. I never read it. Like, I never, I picked up, I never asked somebody what's in this. I never, it's like, bro, is it good or is it not? That's mm-hmm. all people care about. So I'm like, okay, how do I do this and how do I make this palatable for a large group of people? Awesome. Yeah. So you also have aspirations yes. for a plant-based eatery. Right? Yes. So tell us a little yes, about that. Yes, yes, yes. So people hearing this now, this may be the first time you hear this, but yes, I'm opening uh, a restaurant called Michezo, which actually means sport in Swahili. Swahili is the number one language spoken on the African continent mm-hmm. by 100 million people. And I really wanted a name I, I could have called it Jay's Burger, but I was like, nah, like, let me call it Michezo, something that sounds new and something you're probably not familiar with. And I kind of want to get us um, interested in more foreign words that aren't necessarily European. Mm, yes. You know, so it's like everything that's good and foreign don't got to be European. Like, it could be African. It could be Caribbean. It could be mm-hmm. West Indian. Like, there's good foreign stuff from people that look like us. Like, right. And I think we value European foreignness more than we value our own. And uh, that gets on my nerves. So I feel like, let me be one of those people to um, break that. And uh, yeah, so it's going to be, again, still with basketball. I mean, I could show you this after the, the uh, interview. Um, it's going to be where basketball and art is like a fusion. So you're going to walk in and it's just going to be like a beautiful setting, paintings and different things. Not your typical sports bar, dark and ultra masculine place. It's going to be a place where like dudes feel good, could come through, chill, and they could bring somebody I want to sit and talk and have a little lunch date. Everybody feels comfortable in the space. So have you, like, found a space? Are you that far in the process? I have found a space. Mm-hmm. Now it's all about just raising the money. So gotcha. I've just been in the background. And like I said, learning from my first experience, now I know how to go about this mm-hmm. and how I'm supposed to, you know, get money and how the business is supposed to be lined up and what I need to do and business plans and all of these things that prep me for this moment and just creation and being creative. And that's another thing I want to add to it. Um just being creative, you know, with the commercials, with the slogans, like um, the actual logo is like a bun 
that has a basketball print in it. Gotcha. And the um, the um, the slogan is "Bask in the bun." So mm-hmm. it's like, yo, enjoy it. Like, take your time. Like, to bask means to you know lay in the sun, enjoy it. In the same way, plants they lay in the sun, they they absorb the sun, and then they give us uh, nourishment. And then the baskets is this actual basketball in the bun. Like, so it's just like doing cool things, you know. Um, and along with that, I actually um trying to do a basketball tournament every summer. Um, that's gonna be kind of like a festival, but it'll be plant-based companies in the eatery part. Okay. So I know with a basketball tournament comes a lot of men that'll show up. So now I can expose all of these men to different type of food that they may not have been exposed to before. And with that, I can grow my I can grow my clientele. Like, hey, you know, try my sandwiches because mm-hmm. I'm going to have a, a beef option and a chicken option. But everything in there would be made by hand because I think a lot of times these restaurants, a lot of them just got frozen patties and they got the stuff that they bought. Yeah, everybody has the yeah. Beyond or the Impossible mm-hmm. or some frozen veggie burger. Everything in my spot will be made from hand. Like I make just how you see on my show like I'm making everything from scratch the smoothies everything would be made from scratch just to put something different on the market because I think it just tastes better and I think less ingredients but better taste that's what we live by and I think you're a prime example of something that I live by I believe we are infinite creative beings so a lot of times people have one idea mm-hmm. that started off really strong that people latched on to and it didn't quite go as far as they want. And then yeah. they're stuck there. Mm-hmm. Like that was my moment. That was my opportunity yeah. to shine and create something great. Not realizing that there's so much more and there's so many more ideas from where that one came from. Mm-hmm. And if you're just open to seeing a different way or seeing what the next chapter of your life looks like, something else will come. Yeah, Multiple things will come that you can can capitalize on. And also part of that, I don't just being open it but the other the other open to it but the other part of it is not worrying about people being like oh what's he on now you yeah. know just literally doing you yeah um but I, I will say that like i've always been that guy with my friends like yo jason always on some mm-hmm. other stuff man. <laughs> like this dude he he be tripping but they always accepted me for who i mm-hmm. was and his journey yeah what i'm saying with the business thing is cool but the main part of it for me is fueling what i want to do like this is the micro but in the macro yeah I feel like what I'm doing is a revolutionary act. Like, taking back your health is a revolutionary act because so many, the, the status quo is, yo, just live your life. You're going to die anyway. You know, right now, actually, at this moment, we started a garden in the backyard, like a big garden. Like, really? we're trying to, like I'm trying to experiment um, with growing my own food because a lot of people say that, yo, the food getting crazy, the food getting crazy. It's like, all right, we're going to grow our own. Let's try it out. The trial and error, just how I did with the cooking. I didn't know how to do that, but through time, I got better with it. And I feel like we, especially as black people, the time is now where we got to start looking at stuff different. Um, and that's that's what drives me to do the show because that thing takes a lot of time. Like, all you see I is 60, 60 yes. seconds. But some of them out, some of the episodes take 10 to 15 hours to complete, whether it's filming and then editing it by myself. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of time. And the, the, what gives me the strength is not the, the monetary. It's like, yo, I'm teaching my people how to break free of this mm-hmm. crap, man, how to break free of disease. And that's what drives me. And... For me, I think, especially when it comes to wealth, I think um, uh, black people in general, we have so little of it. And I think we get fooled by the television because we see the athletes and we see the entertainers. But when you really break it down, we only have 1% of the wealth. 90% of the wealth is Caucasian people have it. Yes. So it's... and. In the year 1860, we had 1% of the wealth. So in all this time, if none of that, what has really changed? Except now we we got more toys. We could buy more sneakers. We could buy more cars. It's stuff that looks good. But in the grand scheme of things, we don't control anything. And when it comes to this restaurant, at least the lane I'm in right now, 
And a person that I've been paying a lot of attention to is Dr. Claude Anderson. If y'all have never heard of him, please look him up. Two very important books, um, Black Labor, White Wealth, and Poweronomics. And it's just been teaching me like, yo, I can't just look at this from a horizontal. I have to look at this from a, a vertical standpoint where it's like, okay, I need to control the farm, the restaurant, and then the experience that I give to people. If you sell t-shirts, like, you know, how can we get into t-shirt manufacturing? Not just putting our logo on a t-shirt. Let's get somebody black to own the warehouse that has the people in there making the shirts. Let's have somebody black who owns the screen printing so they can screen print it. And then you design because... That's what other cultures are doing. That's what they're end doing. End to end. End to end. Yeah. It's vertical from top mm-hmm. to bottom. We control it because... And we... Like, I, it's, it's very multi-layered. It's like, how much has changed? Yes, we can sit next to people and we can go into any establishment and spend our money. But a lot of times, these people you're spending your money with, they don't like you. They just want... They just want your money. So your they'll money. smile in your face mm-hmm. and tell you, yeah, oh, yeah, man, we love you, you know? But what Martin Luther King was saying right before he died, if you listen to a lot of his speeches, he was like, listen, this whole integration thing, I think I led my people into a burning house. And he, at the tail end of his... um his his life, it was all about economics. And me personally, my opinion is that's why they killed him. Because it was like, all right, we cool with you sitting next to us and we cool with you wanting to, you know, rub shoulders with us. Oh, you talking economics? Nah, 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 we good. And I think that's where we always fall short. And I think especially with integration, because the new the new aggressive integration is gentrification. Yeah. So we don't have the wealth to compete because there's been policies since 1860 put in place to make sure we don't catch up. If you even look at mass incarceration, man, like, it's insane. Like, it's mm-hmm. insane. From from the years 1492, I believe, to the year 1970, there was never over 300,000 people in jail at one time. Now, today, there's 10,000 people in jail. No, 10, 10, million 10 million people in jail. So it's like, what happened? You know, um, especially when it comes to our young men from 20 to 35, half of them are locked up. Those are our main, that's our main force right there. And if we ain't getting the resources, if we ain't, like, we could, and like I said, out of that 1% that black people uh, control, 75% is with our athletes and entertainers. So what what has changed, really? Right. Except they gave us more things. And so we got to start thinking vertically. Like, how do we own the top? Of the, yo, my man, you, can you find somebody who make toothbrushes? All right, we're going to buy our toothbrushes <laughs> from him. Like, literally, every single thing we got to start finding, even if you know somebody who makes shea butter. I boss for somebody who makes shea butter. Oh, yeah, let me get that. It's just a lot. So that's, right. where, I, that's where my mind is right now. Like, even talking about the medical system we was talking about, like, my uh, girlfriend, she's a registered nurse. Mm-hmm. And she is just frustrated because she's in a system where she feels like she can't truly help people. Sure. And she's like, all I do is administer medicine or I give a shot or whatever the case may be. And now she's about to go back to school because she wants to be a midwife to help give birth because black women especially are dying at alarming Absolutely. rates. Absolutely. Um, black babies are dying at alarming rates. So the way she, the way she wants to use her skill is to is to uh, have natural births. Um, so that's all we about right now. Like, we all about building community. We all about spending less money on stuff we don't need. That's just where my mind is focus-wise. Like, all the glitz and glam and the funny stuff you see on my account is because I can't really talk about the stuff I really want to talk about because I don't want to push people away. Right. Like, I kind of want to, you know, feed the baby the candy while taking the knife out of their mm-hmm. hand. You know what I mean? But I will eventually get to that. But I think everything I'm saying now, we really, as a people, need to start thinking, like, don't confuse income with wealth. You can't Absolutely. you can't pass your job to your kid. But they they spent all these years hoarding the resources, which is the land. They gave out millions of 
of acres of land for free, mm-hmm. which we were not which allowed we were to partake not, in. It, we weren't allowed. So we got to start thinking about that. But yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So before we let you get out of here, we, we, we talked about your Valley experience mm-hmm. with selling off the business. Yeah. Um, but tell me about another time where you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Oh, uh, where did I have to be? Uh, uh, extraordinary on an ordinary day. Uh, I guess I'll talk about relationships in this case. Like, I read a book called The Way of the, uh, The Way of the Superior Man. And, uh, any man in a relationship or dealing with, or anybody, like women, I think y'all should read that too. Mm-hmm. It's called The Way of a Superior Man. And just understanding um, why women do the things they do and what, it's like, like I said, communication um, is huge. And I think there were times where it could be something as little as your girlfriend is standoffish. And an extraordinary act is just going over and talking to her, man. And Truth. I feel like a lot of men, we don't, like, ah, she gonna be all right. Mm-hmm. Like, she gonna be straight. She gonna be, an extraordinary act is like literally sitting there being vulnerable and talking. I think that's one of the most extraordinary things I've started to do in my life because talking is just so therapeutic, man. Like, look somebody in the eye and really be like, okay, why is this the way it is? Why do you feel this way? Um, and she's really helped me with that, I will say that. And she helped me with the veganism because mm-hmm. we did it together. Wow. Um, so it's because it, it may be hard to do by yourself, but if you got a friend or you got it's 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 way hard it's way easier to do it when you have a partner to hold you accountable. But yeah, man, I would say that like because that took the that took the shedding of my ego, my pride to be like, yo, what can I do for you, you know? Um, and that's and sometimes I think I still have struggles with that, but I'm getting way better at it. Um, so yeah, I'd say any man listening, like the extraordinary thing you could do is like go ask your lady, like what, how are you feeling right now? Like seriously, not on some like passive bias right. stuff. Like listen, yo, how are you feeling today? That's a word you just spoke. Let me, yeah. if I do say so myself, that is being extraordinary. Absolutely, yeah. it's tough for a man, especially because ego and pride. Yes, it's, that's that's all we got sometimes, especially with these communities we grow up in. It's mm-hmm. like that's all you have. That's like your foundation. Like, man, if you take my ego, you take my pride. What else do I have left? And that's why we, a lot of us, are willing to die for that. As crazy as that may sound, you mm-hmm. ain't got no money, you ain't got no family, but your pride is all you got, and you willing to risk your life for it. Somebody says something because what else you got to live for? Right. Um, and it's, it, it is crazy, but it's understood. Um, but yeah. So what's your target date for your, your plant-based eater? Do September, you have uh, September. I'm trying to open it right around, uh, Rutgers, Newark and NGIT, that okay. little area over there. So, cause I want to be around the youth cause they are the future. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a lot of businesses downtown Newark, so I could get those people as well, you know, come get some lunch. And it's a, I went to high school right down the street. So for me, especially with what just happened with Nipsey, um, that would just be a, a, a great thing for me to open something right down the street from where I went to high school. And I'll be able to hire high school kids that went to my high school. And uh, yeah, because that Nipsey thing was, uh, it, it really rocked me. I mean, I didn't even know this guy. But he was like the epitome of what we looked at as young. Yeah. Like somebody who did it right. Like he was in the gang. He was doing whatever he was doing, but flipped it around and turned it into positivity and turned it into, again, economical advancement, not mm-hmm. just social. How do we, yeah, they trying to gentrify Crenshaw. I'm going to buy this. I'm going I'm to I'm open a STEM program down the street to teach y'all math, science, engineering, all of that stuff. I'm going to... Teach gang members. And this is why I feel like Martin Luther King wouldn't work today because these kids think they free. Because, oh, I got Jordans. I got an iPhone. What you talking about, bro? Like, I ain't trying to hear nothing you talking about. But somebody like Nipsey made it palatable for them kids that be on the corner. 
And that's why his death don't sit right with me. It still don't. And I think there's some things behind it, which I can't prove. But somebody with that stature who was just ascending, mm-hmm. getting that popularity and everything he spoke about in every interview. I mean, this guy, every single interview. And I think that's what really made people gravitate towards him because it wasn't necessarily the music for everybody. Even though I was a fan listening, like my mother, she don't listen to rap at all. And when she was crying about Nipsey, she was like, yo, man, I went and watched everything he said. My mom don't know nothing from nothing. She's like, when she first heard, she's like, oh, it's another one of these little kids dying over something stupid. They shooting each other. But then when she really went and watched his interviews, yeah. it moved her to tears. Like, yo, this brother was really about something. And he represented so much. And he represented that Pan-Africanism because he's from East he, Africa. Yeah. But his mother is African-American. So the same thing I was going through. Like, yo, he he's living both worlds. And he just inspired me so much, man, to... To be like you, we could be from where we from, and we can invest, and not to be scared. Don't don't anybody listening. Don't let his death deter you from going back. That should make you go even harder now, because that's what they want, man. They want us to be like, ah, oh, that's why they keep showing us getting shot. That's why they keep showing us losing, because this stuff does something to your psyche where it just makes you feel powerless. Like I can't do nothing. But that shouldn't stop us. If one Nipsey dies, should be a hundred more that come after him. And um. Yeah, man. That's how I feel about that. Well, I'm excited to see what you're going to do because I know it's, it's going to be some amazing things. I hope so. That's for I sure. So. I can feel your passion and your commitment to a lot of different causes, but all of them that funnel into the betterment of us, our yeah. people, which is what we're about on this show. So I, I'll be there eating, yes, uh, eating yes, plant-based. I'm, I'm a part, part-time listen, plant-based eater. I'm can. like listen, I'm not three no, to four listen, days man. a week plant-based, and then, you know, we listen, throw a little extra stuff in there. Mondays. <laughs> listen, do that. I'm good with that. Like, I'm not I'm not one of them people. I'm like, listen, you have one smoothie a day, man. Just get, get, get mm-hmm. some, some, some blueberries, strawberries. Get, throw some kale in there. Your fruits and veggies so, and that's it just drink one a day you'll be alright do what you do like I tell people all the time do what you can and as you do what you can you're gonna wanna do more that's just how it goes right. once something becomes a habit like I said once something gets buried into your subconscious you start drinking a smoothie every day for 30 days it just becomes a normal thing like yes. oh yeah I do that and then something else gets added or taken out so yeah I'm never that guy that's gonna tell you yo you need to do this mm-hmm. but just take your time. But if you're suffering from some type of disease or some type of ailment, yeah, I got to, hey, listen, talk to me. Yes. Please, I can help you out. I'm not a doctor. I don't <laughs> have no cure. I'm not saying I know. But listen, if you are dealing with something that you're having trouble with, there's ways around it. And where can people find you online? Uh, Jason Akoy on Instagram. That's where I'm at. Uh, J-A-S-O-N-A-K-O-I. Um, and my email is jgardenstate at gmail.com. J-A-Y-G-A-R-D-E-N-S-T-A-T-E. Well, we'll be supporting. That's for sure. To our listeners, check check Jason out. I got to get on these rebound recipes for sure. Yes, for Um, sure, for sure. And make sure those who are local to the New Jersey metro area follow his story as he works on this plant-based eatery, which sounds like it's going to be amazing. Thank you, um, thank and, you. and swagged up a little bit, too, thank for, for veganism. And I, I, I want my T-shirt that says chickpeas ain't going to get it. I really listen, do. No, we got to make that I'll happen. Make I'll make it. Listen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, DeMarcus said we need an equity stick. He, he popped see, in I with like the business talk. acumen. I like that talk. Uh, but as always, we encourage you to support not only our guests, but the show. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe. And remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thoval. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER. 